first, absurdism may seem just like silly nonsense. And it is kind of that. You know, it doesn't have to mean anything. Uh, in that sense, it is nonsense. And if you had to choose between nonsense that was serious in tone versus nonsense that was upbeat and silly in tone, most people would probably choose the upbeat version of nonsense. You know, most people probably wouldn't be too keen on watching SpongeBob if it was more tragic absurdity than lighthearted fun, you know? Not that there aren't tragic moments in SpongeBob, uh, but that would, be, that would be a more niche audience among children if that was the consistent norm for SpongeBob, right? The absurd seems harmless on the surface. It doesn't seem to point to anything, but if you look at the philosophical history of the absurd, you know, Kierkegaard, Camus, uh, it's more interesting than that. Absurdism is a psychological reaction to an existential crisis, essentially. You know, it's this kind of letting go, this allowance for you to go a little crazy without being crazy, because, eh, why not? You know, it's a justifiable philosophical stance that can be born out of logical analysis of the human condition, even though it just looks like a weirdo doing goofy crap. I know that was a lot to swallow, and I'm mashing concepts together here in a way some people are going to dislike who care about such things. Like, absurdism in comedy isn't exactly the same as absurdism in philosophy, but they share similar roots. You know, absurdism in art and philosophy are linked. Personally, I think the basis of just about all comedy in one way or another is that we are finite beings with this vague sense of the infinite, you know, and that leaves us, fortunately or unfortunately, in an absurd position. You know, we are animals with an imagination, and that's strange, you know, to be a conscious animal. There's a, there's a book you can read that really hammers at this dichotomy in the human condition. It's called uh, The Denial of Death by, by Ernest Becker. Uh, Becker was a cultural anthropologist, and uh, the book here was written to sort of clarify and extend the psychoanalytic, the, the psychoanalytic, no, the psychoanalytic project of Sigmund Freud. You know, people say that Becker sort of brought closure to Freud by substituting the centrality of sex in Freudian analysis with the concept of death anxiety. And there's this whole terror management theory branch of psychology that's spun out of that. You can look up all of those things if you want to. The reason I bring up the book is because if you want to study how jokes work, I'm not sure how many people out there geek out about jokes the way I do, but that's kind of the point of this whole video podcast thing. But if you really want to understand them, understanding what Ernest Becker keeps hammering at in The Denial of Death can actually be really useful. Um, but also, uh, you want to be on pretty psychologically stable ground <laughs> before, uh, before you read this book, because uh, it can be kind of harsh. Uh, it can be a rough read if, if it's your first exposure to these sorts of ideas. My guess would be is that if you're steeped enough in an appreciation for comedy to still be watching this video at this point, um, this is probably not going to be the first time you've had exposure to the, to the kind of thoughts in, in that book. But anyway, you need contrast in comedy. And the fundamental contrast in the human condition, to me, 
is our bipolar capacity, right? We can be deeply depressed and feel like a useless animal that just wants to lay on a couch and die. And then we can reach these heights of striving where we're in a magnificent flow state and we feel on top of the world, you know, like we could discover the elixir of life and populate the whole universe with digitized versions of ourselves or, or something like that, you know, the singularity. Becker uh, quotes Karl Marx at one point in The Den Denial of Death, and uh, Marx once wrote, I am nothing, but I should be everything. Ugh, <laughs> that doesn't just sum it up perfectly. Like, that's what's so funny about us as human beings. Like, we're, we're dirt, and yet we're the most incredible thing alive. You know, that's why fart jokes are so funny, right? You can be rolling through some beautiful screed about the nature of man and how to live an authentic life and liberty, blah, blah, blah. In the middle of that, your body decides to rip out a huge toot without your permission, right? There's your reminder, you know, you're just a dumb animal. You know, your big smarty pants important brain thing isn't in control of any of this, right? Isn't that silly? You're just a thing that farts. People talk about uh, Shakespeare being able to appeal to the nobility as well as the lower class. I'm no Shakespeare scholar, but you know, I've read enough to know that you know, he understood the human condition on a very deep level. You know, human nature, the psychology, the emotional side of human beings. Like he understood that contrast between our animal nature and this aspirational, philosophical, logical, you know, reaching that has come out of the evolution of the frontal cortex in the human brain. Like, if you read up on scholars who know, you know, Freud and Shakespeare well, there's a lot of people that argue that Freud was just repeating things Shakespeare had already said with his art in his plays. You know, Freud just sort of retread Shakespeare in the realm of psychology, you know, this new social science. And it's interesting, uh, Freud actually wrote a book about his theory of jokes, you know, why he thought things were funny. It's called Jokes and Their Relation to the Unconscious. I haven't read it, uh, to be honest. I, I need to get around to it at some point, but I've read commentaries on it. Um, Freud thought that there was, you know, all this repression of everything. And I, I don't know, maybe there kind of was, but also maybe we just can't be simultaneously aware of all of the activity in our brains at once. You know, maybe it's, there's a lot going on up in your brain. You know, it's not just one sequence of neurons active at a time. We have all sorts of neural networks firing away, you know, baseline activity rates that you aren't conscious of. You know, consciousness, whatever that is, our capacity to pay attention to parts of our own mind, it doesn't have direct simultaneous access to each part of our brain, right? We don't have that functional capacity. But I don't know if it's so much repression, like an active repression, as it is a limited capacity, right? Hmm. Anyway, this is supposed to be about comedy. My point is, I really enjoy absurdist comedy that is well done. And it's something I strive to be able to do better. I want to get better at absurdist comedy because I think it's like it's like some of the top shelf stuff in comedy. Absurdism opens so many portals to different ways of thinking and approaching things. You know, comedy is all about shifting perspective, flipping things on their head. Absurdist comedy is like jumping on some kind of whirly gig at an amusement park or, you know, one of those things at NASA that'll shake you around like a paint can. Like, it can be very disorienting, but also, so much fun if you if you can jump on that ride uh, with the comic and, and, and handle the ride, you know? 
but it's not on the audience to be able to handle the ride. You know, going going on a weird trip, you know, through an absurdist bit, that, that requires a lot of trust in the performer, right? The audience has to be very comfortable with you as a comic, and you have to have so much unbroken, committed confidence in whatever nonsense you're doing up there, uh, or they're not going to go with you, you know? That's why, I think it's, that's why I think it's so impressive when comics can pull off an absurdist bit, right? Because sometimes, you know, a lot of the time, uh, absurdism fails. You know, it doesn't connect. The audience isn't into it. You know, they look at it like, what is this? <laughs> you know, keep this away from me. Keep this away from me. What's going on? You know, they, they, they'll observe, but at a distance. You know, maybe they chuckle nervously, but they don't participate, you know? If you can go into the absurd and get people to follow you enthusiastically into that lollipop forest, impressive. I'm impressed. Not a lot of comics can lead those expeditions successfully. It's difficult. It's a challenge. Um, but I think it can be worth it. You know, you, you have to get to a level of confidence where you know you are right about this thing that on the surface doesn't make any real sense. <laughs> like, like if, if they aren't on board initially, and they probably won't be, you cannot bend. You have to, through force of will and energy, lift the audience up to that weird place you're hanging out at. You have to do it with performance, right? Not just the, not just writing. You can't just write an absurdist bit. The writing alone of an absurdist bit typically is not enough when you're being weird on stage. You know, you you have to create the vibe and essence in the whole room with your performance. And you know that that can be very low energy as well. It doesn't always have to be like high energy like you're bringing them up, you're bringing them up but it still has to be tremendously confident, right? You have to be able to sit in those silences when they come as if everyone else in the room who is out of sync with you, they're the ones who just don't get it. <laughs> and you're not doing that in a condescending way. It's just an open invitation. You're fine. They're missing the beauty of what's so terrifically funny over here. And you're going to stand firm until they come over and uh, take a look and by golly, enjoy themselves. You know, we're all here. We're, we don't have anything better to do. Let's, let's hang out and do this weird, silly thing. And further, there still has to be some essential truth in the absurdist performance in order for it to connect. You can't fake it, right? You can't just be zany and wacky for no reason. You know, there has to be an emotional touch point behind it to justify the zany, wacky nonsense, right? There's this Kurt Vonnegut quote, uh, we are what we pretend to be, so we must be very careful what we pretend to be. So whenever you're performing and you're doing something absurd, you still have to ask yourself, where is the essential humanity in this, right? What is the core element people are going to be able to grab onto? Where is the life raft in this maelstrom of ridiculousness, right? You're still a human you're still a human being up there, right? Don't mask that. You're, you're not a lowly animal ruled purely by your passions moment to moment, and you're not a comedy god, right? You're a person. You're that in-between thing, you know? What's the, what's the essential you on display in the middle of the silliness, the absurdity? That's what people can relate to, even if the rest of it seems terrifically bizarre. I was listening to uh, Judd Apatow on Pete Holmes' podcast, You Made It Weird, uh, back in 2018. 
And uh, this was when Judd was putting together this documentary, great documentary, uh, about Gary Shandling, which I finally recently got around to watching four years later. So Gary, uh, he was into Zen Buddhism, uh, which I know nothing about. But in relation to that, he spoke about the concept of performance and non-performance blending such that you were trying very hard, but at the same time, not trying at all because you are just being you and that's coming through to the audience organically, right? So in the podcast uh, discussion, they compared it to you know muscle memory of really great athletes who are able to put aside you know the mental clutter and just sort of let the game come to them in the moment. Judd said uh, some of the best advice Gary ever gave him was for his characters in his shows and movies, you know, don't try to be funny. Uh, that's when you get off track. Don't try to be a comedian. Just be the authentic you. So for characters in the shows, you know, Judd would always say, you know, to himself, what would a real person with this character's life experience and position in this scene do if this really happened or this was really said? You know, don't go for the funny line or reaction. Go for the authentic line or reaction. That's the, the truth in comedy that people really want. You know, I'm going back to Shakespeare again, understanding human nature, understanding authentic human emotions and the core of humanity. That's why Shakespeare is so popular today because he did that better than anybody. So why am I bringing this up in the context of absurdity? Because you can get off track if you try to be absurd just to get a laugh, right? You still have to find the human authenticity within the absurdity so that people can relate and connect and get it. You know, something something led you to want to go on this weird absurdist journey with this goofy stand-up bit you're doing, but how do you give that audience that same itch, right? You have, to, you, you have some sort of itch that needs scratch. That's why you're doing this. Maybe other people have it too, but if you just start scratching them, you know, before they have the itch, that's confusing. <laughs> Why are you scratching me? They need to feel what you feel to justify the itch scratching. This, I think this is making sense. <laughs> and the way they feel what you feel is by you being authentic and not posturing and pretending to be something you aren't. Hmm. How about that? That's what's so interesting is there can be, there can be hacky absurdist humor, right? What's worse than that? You know, that shouldn't exist. Like you do this strange, unique performance thing and yet somehow it comes across as artificial and constructed and an imitation of some, someone or something else. You know, it's, it's, you can do an attempt at being unique, but it's not actually you. It's not authentic. You see that sometimes. I've done that more than once. You know, you can do a kind of hacky, absurd thing that makes people think, I guess this is funny. It's like mouthing off about something, you know, political without having any real jokes or connection to the material, you know, just so you can get the clapter from people who happen to agree with you about your carefully constructed facade of an opinion or personality. One of the central things I enjoy about comedy is how free it is, right? It's such an unchained art form. It can go in so many different directions, right? It can manifest in so many ways. And I love seeing comedians who dive down those rabbit holes. You know, if you can go into the depths of your own mind and articulate what's going on in there in a real way that is also silly and fun, people love that. However, <laughs> however, 
you gotta be careful that you don't get high on your own supply, right? You can also end up in a situation where you're just dancing around in your own little fun house and <laughs> nobody knows what the heck you're talking about or, you know, why, why you're talking about it, which might ultimately be how this video comes across. Well, that's it. You've reached the end of the episode. Welcome to the podcast outro. An outro is the opposite of an intro. Kind of like an innie versus an outie when it comes to belly buttons. Comedy Obsessed, a podcast featuring Mike Frank of anothertheLazyMillennial.com. If you haven't figured it out, this is a podcast about stand-up comedy. I'm a stand-up comic. I don't think stand-up is well understood by that many people. Comedy nerds like me, you know, we respect it as an art form. Lots of other people have a rather low opinion of it. I understand why. You know, there's lots of rough, bad, roast, disappointing comedy out there. I've made plenty of it. But I also don't think that that low opinion of the art of comedy is justifiable. I think stand-up is a beautiful, challenging, rewarding, complex art form that deserves as much respect as any other performing art. It's incredibly impressive when someone is able to write and perform stand-up that is wildly funny and even simultaneously insightful. I'm not saying that happens all the time or even the majority of the time, but when it does happen, I think it's incredible. So this is a podcast where I discuss my own struggles with trying to do that incredible thing. I'm going to talk about my experience, what I've learned over the years writing and performing stand-up, things I've picked up on to try to do it better, nuances to the art form you can't fully appreciate until you've actually experienced them in some capacity, but I'm still, probably futilely, going to try to relate those lessons to others interested in stand-up, whether you've done it or not. I'm a bit of a nerd, I've got a background in philosophy from when I was in college, I also maintain a deep interest in psychology and neuroscience. I poke around in economics, history, and literature. There's a list of book recommendations on my website that you can check out if you're interested in any of those things. Weirdly enough, I find ways for these subjects to inform my understanding of stand-up. Hopefully, you find the discussion of these ideas to be as satisfying to your own curiosity as I have to mine. I should also mention that I'm a dentist. That's my day job. I have a YouTube channel where I'm trying to teach people how to take care of their teeth and improve their oral health. Oral health, that's mouth health. I want to help you with your mouth health because I think that our healthcare system is failing and I don't think that trends within the industry are heading in a good direction. I don't think I can really reverse those trends with anything I do working as a dentist. And you might be thinking, how are YouTube videos supposed to help people improve their dental health? Preventative medicine. It's the most powerful weapon we've got to reverse the healthcare crisis in America. I truly believe that. I'm trying to make a positive contribution to that struggle. So, you can find me on YouTube. My channel is Another Lazy Millennial. It's all one word when you search it. Google will ask you if you meant Another Lazy Millennial as three separate words, and you can defiantly state to Google, no, I meant it as one word because I want to find Mike Frank's YouTube channel Thank you very much. That's what you should tell Google. 
Uh, there's dental stuff there, there's stand-up stuff there. I'm a weirdo, but I've decided I'm finally committed to being me instead of hiding what I'm really like. So, congratulations, this is me, y'all. My website is anotherlazymillennial.com. If you give me your email address on that website, I'll be sure to keep you up to date about future comedy tours and projects I hope to create. You can find me on Instagram at Comedic Exposure. That's C-O-M-E-D-I-C-E-X-P-O-S-U-R-E. Comedic Exposure. I take photos of comics there. I'll be posting stand-up clips there. I'll also likely be posting clips out of this podcast there. I'm on TikTok at Mike underscore the underscore dentist, as well as a separate TikTok account where I'll be posting stand-up clips at Mike Frank Comedy. That's M-I-K-E-F-R-A-N-K-E Comedy. All right. Thanks for listening. Honestly, really appreciate it. If you've listened, listened to this whole spiel, please share with anyone who you think would like any of this stuff I'm doing. Ask me questions on YouTube and TikTok. I'll do my best to be responsive and helpful. So yeah, that's about it. Go ahead and get outside, go on a walk, get some exercise, get some sleep, hug somebody you care about, read a book, do something challenging and worthwhile. Have a lovely day.